podcast of Odessa First Assembly. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I pray that you are strengthened and encouraged by today's message. chapter 6 verses 18 and 19 so God has given both his promise and his oath these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie therefore we who have fled to him for refuge therefore we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. I love the wording of that because, you know, sometimes, you know, when we, we have to understand we're not running away from something, we're running to somebody. And in Him is a shelter, in Him is a strength, the righteous run to the strong tower. Um, have, and we hold the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. We spent a couple of weeks on hope. Last week we talked about God's presence. This week we're talking about anchored in the storm. And to really illustrate that, I think one of the, one of the greatest short parables is in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. So if you have your Bibles or you want to follow along on the screen or your notes, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 is just three verses we're going to read, Matthew 7, 24. And it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on the rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock. And I really intended to have like a video of some you know, a house like being carried away. Years ago, we were leading a missions trip to, uh, to Chiapas, and Chiapas, Mexico, and uh, we were flying out of San Antonio because like the flights were so much cheaper, and so we were driving from Lubbock to San Antonio, but during that season, there was, they were having massive rains, huge floods in San Antonio. And so we're driving in down I-10, um, we were past Fredericksburg. I remember exactly where we were. And in these dry gullies that, you know, normally they're dry, we were dry, and the water was all the way up to the interstate, and a house was coming floating down the gully that the river had picked up. I mean, that's the kind of the image that we need to have when we read this. And it goes on to say, But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and the floods come, the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And I know that we, what, kind of what I want us to get into our hearts and our minds as we talk about this is really just talking about the storms of life. I mean, most of us have experienced some sort of broken relationship or maybe a season of unemployment or workplace drama or family drama, ends not being met. And there's even, like even, I mean, grievous, terrible things that sometimes we go through. Maybe it's the loss of a child or someone close to us going to prison, unfaithfulness in marriage, and, you know, giving that incurable diagnosis of a disease. 
we can go through so many things that are, would be considered a storm in life. And it leaves us asking so many times, why God? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? And as you see the storms of life, they really come to us all. And that's what I want to start off with. Number one is this, is that storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. And I am so grateful that I did not tongue-tie that one, because I would normally would. But anyway, storms are, storms are going to happen. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us, I, we don't have it on the screen, but you can jot it down. Matthew 5.45 is the verse that says, His sunlight to both evil and good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Listen, as we walk, go through this life, we're all going to face storms of some kind. Becoming a believer does not always give us a pass. And I think sometimes people have this image, this, this, this uh, belief that because they get saved, then all their problems are going to just vanish and be taken. That is actually rarely the case. But I'm going to tell you, I would much rather face a storm in life with God on my side than on my own. Right? I would rather go through that battle, that struggle, that difficulty, knowing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I wish I could tell you that you'll never face a difficult storm again. I wish I could tell you that you will never be tempted again. I wish I could tell you that there will be no difficulties, no trials, no heartache, no tribulations, and no storms. But I'm going to tell you there are three types of people, and those three types of people are those that just got out of a life storm, those that are in a life storm, and those about to head it into a life storm. I mean, you're in one of those three places. Either you just got out of one, you're in one, or you're headed to one. And sometimes that feels like once you just come out of one, you know, you're, you're in the eye of the storm and you're about to head right back in. Those, they're just inedible. They're, they're going to happen. We're not immune to them. But even though I believe that I... And I I'd rather face those storms knowing that God is my shelter, God is my strong tower, being hidden in that place of the presence of the Lord. I am going to say, I do believe there are times, I do believe there are times when Jesus calms a storm. I, I think God uses those storms to mold us, to shape us, to teaches something. I think sometimes even storms happen to unteach us, unlearn us from something, maybe an idea or a thought or a faulty foundation that we have. And so we go through something and it kind of shakes our world up. But listen to me. I also believe that Jesus can speak directly to whatever you're facing and whatever you're going through. So don't ever lose hope. We should gain strength in knowing that we are not left alone, that he is always with us. But also know this, that any moment, any time, he, right, he can step on the bow of that boat and say, peace be still, and bring the answer that you need. I'm so grateful this section's with me over here. Y'all have to do some work. I'm going to see him do the wave here in a second. I don't... Number two is this, the enemy uses the storm to overwhelm us. 
The enemy uses the storm to overwhelm us. And I don't know if you've heard, I, I hope that you've heard what I've been saying kind of repetitively over the last few weeks, even Wednesday night, some listen. The enemy wants you to believe that God does not love you. The enemy wants you to believe that God is withholding from you. The enemy wants you to believe that God doesn't care about you, that God doesn't know exactly where you are. And when we're in the storm, sometimes it's easy to feel that way. I mean, it's like the disciples that were in the boat and Jesus was asleep and they're literally saying, don't you even care that we're about to perish? Well, of course he cares, but he was in the boat. I mean, he, he really wasn't that worried. The enemy uses the storm to overwhelm us. I, so I want to read Mark, Mark chapter 6, verses 40. I'm going to start in verse 47. We're going to read through verse 51. Mark chapter 6 and verse 47. It says, Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Everybody say, serious trouble. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. About three, That's usually when it happens, right? Like 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that's, that even sounds about accurate, right? 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Look at this. He intended to go past them. And when they saw him walking on the water... They cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. So they don't even know it's Jesus. They're scared because of the storm, and then they think they see a ghost, and they're scared because of that. And Jesus was intending to pass by them, but in verse 50, they were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to him at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed. I mean, this is right after they had just fed the multitudes. They had just fed the 5,000, and he tells the 12, he says, go get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, I want you to process that just for a moment. Is God all-knowing? Is Jesus just like God? Do you think Jesus knew there was going to be a storm? And he told him to get in the boat. Think about that. He knew that the storm was going to happen, and yet he still told them to get in the boat. And then so they're in the boat, and there's a storm happening, the storm brewing, and then he intended to walk by them. Listen to me. There is some time, you gotta, this is so difficult, especially for those that have not come into faith yet, that don't understand how God works. But listen to me. God are going, is going to use those difficult moments in your life to do something inside of you that cannot be robbed. He is working something. He's trying to build an endurance and a strength inside of you to be able to face this world, this culture, the next storm, the next set of problems. And listen to me. 
When they cried out and when they were scared to death, what did he do? He stepped in the boat with them. He's not going to leave, leaving you hanging out to dry. He's going to be there. He's going to use the purpose of the storm to do a work in you that can't be done in any other way. But he's never going to leave you hanging. He's never going to abandon you. I mean, he didn't come to them immediately. It's not some kind of cruelty or non-caring, not loving God. But he saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the winds and the waves, and he still came to the rescue. What's the point? What's the application we can draw from this? Like so many of us, they seemed incapable of recognizing their need until they had exhausted all of their resources. I mean, they were struggling. They were rowing. They were doing all that they could do. And that's exactly what we do sometimes in our storm. You know what starts off? I, I got this. I'm just going to row harder. I, I came to preach a little bit this morning. All right? I can, you know, I, I, you know I, can, I can face this on my own. I, I'm, I'm the smartest guy in the room. So well, you think that, but the rest of us may not. Anyway, um, recognizing their need until they exhausted all their resources. Listen, it, God doesn't need to be our last resort, right? And I, no matter how long we've been in the faith, no matter how long we've been in this process time after time after time after time again, there is this human nature on the side of us that sometimes we think we can just do this on our own. And I'm going to tell you, we can't. We need him in the boat with us. We need him in the boat with us. And so, the storm will either change the way that you see God, or God will change the way that you see the storm. And so if you get to the place where you're in the middle of that difficulty, you're in the middle of that trauma, that diagnosis, that financial need, if the enemy can get that door open and convince you that God does not provide, that God does not heal, that God does not sustain, he's accomplishing his purpose. And so where the enemy can use the storm to change the way that we see God, God is trying to do a work in us that we can look at that storm and we see it differently. We understand that greater is he that is in us. We understand that we are overwhelmingly more than conquerors. We understand that God is for us. Who can be against us? Don't let the storm change the way you see God, but let God change the way that you see God. The storm. And there's another, there's another kind of, uh, well, there's another, Luke writes about the same parable, and the, the wise and the foolish that builds their house. It's in Luke chapter 6, and beginning in verse 46, and I included verse 46, I think it's pretty important, part of this passage, but Luke 6, 46, it says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? When you don't do what I say. I'm just going to leave that right there for a minute. 
I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me and listens to my teaching and follows it. It's like a person building a house, and these are the words that's different than what we read in Matthew. And it's important to get this. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. That dig deep wasn't part of the passage in Matthew. Dig deep, lays a foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it collapses into a heap of ruins. Now what's interesting is those hearing this, when Jesus was teaching this, understood the area in which they lived. Remember, when we look at the Bible, we've got to understand who wrote it, why they wrote it, to who they wrote it, understand that first century context in which it was written. I know, you know, um, some, we kind of check out sometimes hearing that stuff, but here's why it's important. And so Jesus is standing in an area, he's using this teaching, and the area they were in was a very sandy area. It was, a, it was a land that was very sandy. And so think about it. So he's saying, and here they are sitting probably on some sand. You know, I, I, years ago when I was first youth pastor in Monahans and I was, I was managing some apartments and uh, we, you know, we had grass like in this back area I had to mow. And so I'd go to mow it, right? And I went and pushed the mower and, and I didn't realize that underneath that grass, it was all sand, and I pushed that mower, it just kind of sank. It was like, whoop, and it killed the mower. And it's because it sank down in that sand. And so they're in this area, in this sand. And so they get it. They understand, if I'm going to build a house that has a strong foundation, I've got to dig through that sand and get to the bedrock, get to the solid rock. Or you can build your house on top of the sand. So they instantly, they're, they're, they get it. They understand. They know. I'll show you what it's like when someone listens to me and my teaching and who follows it is He's building, he digs deep. He digs deep. Listen to me. Number three is this. Hearing and doing builds a foundation that can withstand the storm. I know rocket science, right? I mean, I mean right now you're just blown away at this point, number three, of like, wow. This is life. Listen, we need to understand the elementary things sometimes. And the foundation is part of those elementary things. But how do we build that foundation? It is simply, Jesus lines it out. If you hear what he's saying and do it and obey, then you're going to be on the rock. If you hear what he says and you don't do it, then life is going to sweep you off from the storm. And the scripture tells us, but just don't listen. James 1.22, but just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're what? You are fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what... I know sometimes we look at the mirror and we, we want to forget what we just looked at. Oh, you know, sometimes I love the memories that pop on Facebook, and then sometimes I just really don't. <laughs> oh, anyway. It's like, you know, I used to have darker hair. 
And then I pastored you guys. But you feed me good. I was about 50 pounds less when I first got here. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you carefully, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's really, it's something that simple. The Bible says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, hearing by the word of God. The word, it transforms us. When we receive, whether we're reading it or whether the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and even if we think the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, we need to see it backed up in Scripture, it transforms us. It does this work in our heart that we really can't explain. We really can't put our finger on it because it's a spiritual work. It's a deep work. And when he does that work on the inside of us, the, our processing and our brain, it begins to shift and it begins to change. And it's called our mind being renewed. And when our, when our way of thinking changes, do you know what follows? The way that we act and what we do changes. Like a man building his house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When the flood rose, a stream broke against the house, could not shake it. It was well built. Listen. So, keeping all that in mind, here's, I thought this was a pretty cool thought. Angela wanted to argue with me, which is not uncommon. But anyway, um, is this. She didn't know the con. She didn't have perspective of anyway. No foundation is built without a rut. No foundation is built without a rut. You know, last year we moved these. Uh, uh, my father-in-law. He. We. Our family's growing. When we're all at my father-in-law's place, we call it the farm. You guys are familiar with us talking about the farm. When we're all there, is there eighteen or nineteen of us? Is there more now? Is there? There's 18 of us, and so if you can, so when I talk about the farm, what you need to know is it, 900 square feet is what we're talking about, and uh, and a you know a house built by a farmer himself. So you can, yeah, so sometime I might show you pictures once we're done. I'm not going to show you pictures now, um, but anyway, not and so can you imagine 18 of us? 900 square feet when we all want to get together. And uh, so my father-in-law, he, built, he, uh, he bought a couple of buildings. We moved them in. So now um, when it's all done, we went from 900 square feet. We're going to 2,700 square feet. And so even just having a living room now when we're there, we're like, whoa, look at this space. I mean, it's just amazing. But before we brought those buildings in, we had to build a footer. We had to go around and we built a footer and, we, and then we put, we built, you know, had to make these pylons because they're portable buildings. We moved them in to attach them to the house and we had to dig down. But you sit there and you look at that footer. I'm thinking that, you know, that could be considered a rut. And so a rut can give you a strong foundation. Think about this. We're just, the, just really quick the history of ruts. Did you know? I mean, there, yeah, there's some exceptions to the rule, but if you go back even to 600 BC, Carts are about the same wheel width, or uh, whatever, yeah, width, wheelbase width, as wagons were in the Wild West of the 1800s. 
Did you know that the width of train tracks are the width that wagons were? Did you know that cars, for the most part, are the same width as trains on the, the rails of the track? That's why they can have the trucks that drive. So we, we, I want to break it down that way because sometimes... We kind of, you know, we hit the snooze button when I talk about something like this. But if you want a foundation that withholds, that stands against a storm, you got to have a lifestyle of prayer. You got to have, I know, I know some, I mean, we want that word of knowledge and that word of wisdom, that prophetic word that we get that just changes everything. When God is a saying, would you just pray? Would you just communicate with me consistently? You don't need the next word from the next big guy coming through town on a tent revival. What you need is to pray and communicate with God yourself. And listen to me, I say that and saying, I love it when that stuff, I love it when the Holy Spirit works and moves and gives those words of knowledge and words of pro- and all that kind of stuff happens. But I'm going to tell you where, where, where it really is going to put meat on your bones is when what God tells you through somebody else through the gift of the Holy Spirit is something you've already been communicating with God about. Does that make sense? And so you got to pray and you got to read your Bible. I know this, I, I mean, we're talking radiant life, you know, first grade Sunday school stuff, but you need to read your Bible. If you are spending zero time in your Bible, then how do you know what God is telling you? God could be going to use something and the letters of those pages of that Bible that you have that speaks directly to the struggle that you're going through. But we want to complain on Facebook about everybody and everything. Read your Bible. If you're spending zero minutes, make a commitment. Say, you know what, I'm going to spend 15 minutes. I'm gonna... If you're reading one chapter, read two chapters. Do something and increase that, but read your Bible. Listen, and live it out. Part of the key is what? We just don't hear it, but we what? We do it. We live it out. We pray, we read our Bible, and we live it out. Listen, when I was running from God, I was the preachiest drunk person around. I know some of you know exactly where I'm at, what I'm talking about. I, you know, we get around and, you know, we could talk a lot about God and religion, <laughs> but there is a power when you live. The Bible says walk worthy of the calling live it out. Don't take this knowledge. Listen, sometimes, you know, we, we've given up the battle before it ever happens. And especially when it comes to that place of temptation, decide now that you're not going to give it into anymore. Make the, say, make the commitment. Say, right now, God, I'm not going to buckle anymore when I get around that peer pressure. You've got to dec- you can't wait till you're in the moment to make that decision. This is good stuff. You gotta tell, listen, tell it is part of the foundation of our relationship with God. We pray, we read our Bible, we live it out, and we tell about what God is doing in our life. When we talk about what God is doing and the breakthroughs in our life, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the what? The word of our testimony. Tell somebody what God is doing in your life. Serve. Yes, that's part of it. We know, why do we know that? I, I, I could go to Philippians 2, but 
We know the Bible tells us that he didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve. Everybody say it one more time. Say it one more time. Find your place and serve and to give. Listen, God has raised some of you up. I, we've had some of these discussions recently, but... Um, you know, a lot of people come, you know, there's people out there that think it's weird, complain, that doesn't think what it's the New Testament teaches about giving of our 10%. And listen, this is not a plea or, or anything like that or, you know, you know, trying to get more money from anything like that. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a spiritual principle when we give to the Lord. And I'm not talking about tithing our time. I'm talking about giving from our pocketbook. We cannot serve the world and God. We cannot chase after the worldly things and when it consumes us. Money, I mean, right, money's not evil. The love of money is what's evil. But I'm going to tell you, I mean, you've heard this saying before, right? You show me your pocketbook and I'll tell you what you worship. And, I, and that doesn't mean that if you're not giving 90% of the Lord, it means you're worshiping or something, you know, whatever. I, I, there's no correlation there. But when you go through the pattern of the New Testament, what you see over and over and over and over is the giving of ever, especially when the Holy Spirit came on the scene in Acts. I mean, if you, wanna, you, wanna, you want the precedent for New Testament giving, then read what happened after the Holy Spirit came in Acts when they all sold everything they had and gave to one another as they had need. But there is a blessing in giving. And I'm going to be very bold, and I'm going to tell you some of you or in a curse in your finances because you're not letting God redeem it. And the way you redeem it is the paying of your tithe. So, let's talk about the fool just for a moment. Don't, there's a saying, I, I don't know who said it, I, I, I can't give credit, I don't know, it's not original to me. Don't fool yourself because you are the easiest person to fool. I don't I really like that. Don't fool yourself because you're the easiest person to fool. But in these parables and Luke and in Matthew, we see about the foolish person. And so I want to talk about that just very quickly. We're kind of we're winding up here. We had a lot of stuff going on. But the fool is in a rush. That's why he doesn't spend time and build that foundation right. Because the fool is in a rush. It takes effort to dig. It takes time to pray, to read my Bible, to live it out. Come on, right? To serve, to give. It takes effort to do that, but the fool, he rushes in. Proverbs 14, 16. We're going to go through three different Proverbs. I love all of them. They're pretty cool. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Fools are in a rush. Sometimes what God is working on the inside of you, it's going to take a little time to cook. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I think, you know, we, we went at microwave style and God's trying to do slow cooker style, right? I mean, he's trying low and slow to develop something and work something in us. Don't be in the rush. Number two is this. A fool thinks he knows best. A fool thinks he knows best. I mean, Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 18, 2. Fools have no interest in understanding. 
They only want to air their... Listen, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you know talking to them, all they're thinking about is the next thing they're going to say? Okay, man, that's a whole other issue. Sorry. Man, phone. Okay. Um, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinion. Verse 3, doing wrong leads to disgrace and scandalous behavior brings contempt. Listen. You know who's all-knowing? You know who's omniscient? It's the Lord. It's God. And I know there's some very, very, you know, any given time in our peer relationships or in this room right now, there's some very highly intelligent people. I'm going to tell you something. There is something about being, living life together and being open to one another and sharing our knowledge, sharing our weaknesses, receiving input when somebody who's walked the road before us. A third thing is this. A fool has to convince everyone that themselves they are right. A fool has to convince everyone else and themselves they are right. Proverbs tells us this. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Sometimes we spend a whole lot of energy um, trying to convince ourselves. To grow and to mature in the kingdom of God, there's just no shortcuts. There's just no shortcuts. There's two portions of scripture that I'm going to close with, this right here. And um, I love these two verses. I've always loved them. When I first read them, I loved them. And it's just a really, it's, it's kind of like finding the wisdom of Proverbs in, in a couple of things that Jesus said. And one of them is in Matthew eleven nineteen, And what I love about it, because when I first read Matthew, I'll never forget it. When I first read Matthew eleven nineteen, it was in the message. And I was like, I got to look that up of what, you know, go back. And um, I don't remember what the message says right now. But in the NLT, it says, but wisdom is shown right by its results. Some translations say that wisdom is proved right by her actions. Here's a, the message just popped in my head. The proof is in the pudding. That's what the message says. The proof is in the pudding. Wisdom is shown right by its results. Do not think what happens immediately is the results, the harvest that God is trying to bring. Some, you know, that's the flash in the pan stuff that happens sometimes, you know. It's like it has a big bang, and, you know, you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. But then it doesn't have staying powder because of, I mean, a whole other thing I get into is character issues. Don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. But in Luke 7, 35, he says it this way. And I, I love this wording. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. And when I read that, what it, what it speaks to me, it may, it may speak to you something different, but what it speaks to me is, is that there is a reproducible harvest because of acting in wisdom. See, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. I mean, the, the, the powerful model is disciples making disciples. Disciples reproducing themselves and disciples making disciples. And you get this multi-generational thing going. Listen, 
the, the impact we're making is greater than where I am now or what I'm doing now. Or, and if the Lord tarries, I mean, I pray that some sort of, that I instilled into my kids, that they put into their kids and then their kids and then their kids because of acting away in wisdom. We can blame or believe. I... I want to read this really quick. Some of you are going to be familiar with this. But it's just that difference of wisdom and foolish. Franklin Pierce, has anybody know who Franklin Pierce was? Franklin Pierce was our 14th president. And his wife was named Jane. Listen to this. Their first child was born in 1836, lived only three days. Frankie, their second son, succumbed to typhus at age four in 1843. On January 6, 1853, just two months before he was inaugurated, the Pierces were in a train wreck that took the life of their third and last child, 11-year-old Benjamin. After seeing her son crushed to death, Jane, Miss Pierce, became a recluse, refused to participate in public appearances. She blamed her husband and his political appearances for Benjamin's death. Franklin Pierce, listen, refused to place his hand on the Bible when taking the oath of office, and he said he no longer believed in the goodness of God. There's another man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He was a successful lawyer, businessman in Chicago, wife, Anna, three children. Their young son died with pneumonia in 1871. In that same year, they lost all of their business in the Chicago fire. On November 21st, 1873, Mrs. Spafford and their four daughters were crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe, about four days in their crossing, they collided with another ship. Their ship sank within 12 minutes, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including all of their children. A sailor rowing a small boat over a spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled her into the boat, they were picked up by another vessel nine days later, landed in Wales, and there she wired her husband a message. She said, saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford later framed the telegram and placed it in his office. Another of the ship's survivors, Pastor Weiss, later recalled Anna saying, God give me four daughters. Now they have been taking for me someday. I'll understand why. Mr. Spatford booked a passage on the next ship to go join his grieving wife. With that ship about four days out, the captain called to Mr. Spatford and to his cabin and told him they were the place where the children went down. According to Bertha Spafford, Vester, a daughter born after the tragedy, that's where he wrote, it is well 
with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. The tale of two different men, two different families, one foolish and one wise. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for joining us for our podcast. Again, if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I hope that you are encouraged through today's message and that you'll join us again.